0: This is Cliffcentral.com. Welcome everybody to the Global Leadership Platform Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society I am Kevin Farquharson With me is the old man from Leadership Platform, Louis Krunewald Hi Kevin, look forward to today's session once again Yes, we are looking forward to today's session It's our regular Professor Theo Feltzman For all things leadership, go to our website www.leadershipplatform.com Once again, Professor Theo Feltzmann, we love having you on the show. We love your insights, your experiences, your articles. So thank you for once again being with us.
1: Thank you for having me, and hello to the listeners as well. Today's theme is about organizations that leaders have to lead, because after all, that's what leadership is all about. Uh, You are either a portion of organization or total organization And uh, we know that organizational design, the way you put the organization together has a crucial impact on firstly, how you actually unlocked value for your clients, for employees, for stakeholders relative to the strategy you're pursuing. It's been proven without any doubt that your design, the delivery logic, that you conceive for how you want to deliver that logic is probably the most critical element in executing your strategy. Also in creating memorable experiences for your customers and your employees such that you, you retain them and they don't leave you.
2: Theo, so can I just uh, uh. contribute Yeah, um, I want the listeners to appreciate uh, where we come from. Um, And Theo's case, being the resident uh, really world-class thinker on this subject, in our case, our leadership platform was interviewed and conversation with probably more top uh, executives and thought leaders than anybody else. But in the process... Our approach uh, has often been on a personal basis to us, leadership becomes intensely personal. so w- when we discuss the subject with with uh, Prof. Theo, we should not underestimate the the, the need of the the overall strategy he 's speaking about and the impact it has on the individual. Um, the question I always ask uh, Theo in any kind of conversation how what is the impact on the individual because ultimately. It's individual leader and the individual member of the organization that makes things work in a positive manner. And therefore, the discussion is a vibrant one we're having today. And now when Theo mentioned the concept of design, people, we design uh, all the time. So what I'm saying is if you don't do it consciously and deliberately… Then you are designing something else, and that something else uh, could be could be on the way to failure if you don't know what you are designing. Uh, all the actions we have as leaders, we're effectively putting forth some kind of plan. Sometimes the design is a daily one. <laughs> Not so, Theo. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Uh, Theo is speaking of, with vast experience from the overall context that's needed so badly if you want to design a successful organization. Please go ahead, Theo.
1: Yes, uh, um, Louis, building on what you said, you know, the, the, the nice metaphor to use here is that organizational design is like architecting the design of your house. You have to decide the shape of the house, the size of the house, the rooms you need to have in the house, because that in the end will ultimately determine the type of people you need to have to staff up the house with and how they're going to live together. There's evidence, very robust research, that's shown that where organizations are correctly designed, the house is right for the job it needs to do. We talk about fit-for-purpose organizations, that those organizations, based on the research, outperform By a multiple factor, organizations are are incorrectly designed. In some cases even, there are case studies of organizations that have been the downfall, that they've had
2: incorrect design. The point is exactly that, uh, Theo. I just want to emphasize the point. Theo is not just speaking of design. Now, you know, many people can design based on your background experience. He's, he's speaking of a design for the organization of the future. Now, we've had thousands of discussions in this world of ours about the nature of the future. And this is exactly the, the, the very important dynamic point that makes this discussion different. It's about this different future. Not so, Theo.
1: Yes, very much so. Uh, in terms of, you know, a kind of a test of when you have a fit-for-purpose design, is firstly, does it fit the, the context in which the organization has to operate? If it's a stable type of context where you can predict where things are going, you need one kind of design, more stable, more formalized, standardized. We do things in a very prescribed manner, compared to a very turbulent context where you need a very nimble organization that can adapt all the time virtually on the spur of the moment. It's like an athlete that runs a certain race. It's preset. It's a 1,000 meters you're going to run, and there's the track compared to a volleyball kind of environment where the ball comes across the net and you have to immediately play it. So first thing is, does my design fit the context? The second one, does it translate my strategy into the way I want to work in the organization and make it happen. Uh, I mean, if you want to be a customer-centric organization, uh, that's your strategy. You can't only focus on internal efficiencies. If that's your design, you have to have what we call an outside-in design. We start with the customer needs and you decide how you're going to satisfy them in a way that you exceeds all of the expectations. The third one is, of course, A design determines how resources are allocated in an organization and how easily the resources can move around. You can waste a lot of resources if your your design is not fit for purpose. Uh, It brings everybody together. It brings the people, the culture, the systems, leadership into a coherent whole because after all, organization is is like a, a living system. The one part affects the other. And and another important one uh, is is in terms of a fit-for-purpose design is does it build and nurture your in-depth core capabilities? If you're a technology-driven organization, does it protect your core technologies? Does it build the skills that you need in order to deploy uh, that technology successfully?
2: Theo, this morning I had a discussion with somebody who expresses a passionate feel about some uh, some w- ways to tackle a specific situation and it bears out the point this uh, environment that uh, this organization is moving into is very vibrant and changing all the time and i know the CEO is very cautious of not making mistakes yeah you know, this person is dynamic and they very wants, wants to be supportive but they don't understand the need to, to adapt to the specific environment. You know, so the ideas are fine. They stand on their own feet. But we put it in the context. And this is where you speak of the, does it uh, fit the strategic market needs? Or does it fit the, the resources as well? And that's got to be considered very carefully. So in this case, it's not that it's a bad idea that this person came up with, but it was it doesn't fit the, the whole, you know, the strategic uh, uh, purpose of the organization at that time. This also
0: goes to um, talking about what we discussed a few weeks ago about the myths of transition. And Mm. when a new leader comes in, this is almost like a blueprint. Hey, before you go in there and bring your bright ideas and get excited and all the rest, you need to weigh up whether what your new ideas are actually meeting what the company is already in. Because if you don't feel that way, you're going to disrupt whatever they have. So if the company is down and out and in, in, the, in the, the ditch, yes, th- then you would need that. But you have to be careful. You have to be careful about what was the original strategies and already the their own future planning and incorporate it with the new ideas where you feel change needs to happen and not go in there like a bull in a china shop.
1: Can I put it this way? Let's continue with the analogy of the house. You buy a new house. That's like a CEO taking over a company. The house has got these different rooms. Uh, People live in a certain way in the house. Now you charge in there there, to use your words, uh, Kevin, like a bull in a china shop, and immediately you start with renovations on the house. I mean, you've got a separate lounge and dining room. Immediately you knock out the walls and create an open space. Meanwhile, you didn't try and work out and first find out why are they separate rooms positioned in a certain way relative to one another, and then, uh, because remember, the design gives you this a certain logic of delivery. You are disrupting the logic without understanding why the logic is in place. Of course, if the company is bleeding at this stage horribly, you would try and stem the bleeding, but it's kind of doing an emergency job until you take control of the situation such that you can now come up and understanding what's going wrong in the delivery logic. I mean, if your response is very slow to your, your client, uh, if they put in an order, if you don't understand the market in terms of the products that you have to deliver and the quality, then you can start making changes to the house in terms of the delivery and the layout of the house.
2: It's quite frightening, though, Theo, in practice, what we come across, uh, because there's no attention played Uh, given to real strategic design the people suddenly discover they need a second floor you know that means the whole structure has got to change and then you know you just kind of uh, fix here and fix there and that happens because of the lack of vision in the beginning so you, you add two points here Theo it says when we do these things it directs and shapes efforts and performs in the appropriate direction. This is yep. a case of channeling resources. Boy, is this important uh, in practice. And then you speak high retention of customers and employees again. That's ultimately, surely, the, the justification for a good business.
1: Can I give you an illustration here? If you've got a functional design, you know, it's, it's operations, it's or manufacturing, marketing and finance, Typically, what happens in that type of organization, the people's uh, focus is, in terms of the delivery logic, is to see to whether, to what extent they can maximize the, the effort and the performance of their function. They forget the bigger picture in order to get ahead in the game of their own function's performance. Take now that same very organization and you change the design, the logic of delivery to a focused delivery or a client delivery. In other words, you separate out what markets are we serving. There could be different markets with different products and services. Immediately, you turn the face of the people in terms of delivery logic to the market away from the functions. The functions are now in support of the markets or the clients you want to
2: serve. That is That's so critical Uh, Thanks Theo Well uh, on this basis I think Theo now Will move to the next uh, discussion Which uh, adds a great deal Of substance to discussion Why has organisational design Become critical Theo please expand on that
1: Because the world is changing uh, Kevin and Louis And I want to lift out Four forces of this changing world The one is and we've discussed it before In this programme the Vickers World it's an adaptation, expansion of the well-known VUCA world of increasing variety, interdependency or interconnectivity, complexity, change, ambiguity and seamlessness. The world has just become hyper-turbulent, hyper-fluid, changing all the time. And we, what we're seeing is the increase in the frequency of, of what people have called chaotic context of unknowables. We, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, In some cases, we know the unknowns, but we're not sure how they will change. So the first one is the dynamics of the world has just changed. Now, you can already start asking the question, in this kind of world, can I still have a kind of a bureaucratic, very uh, standardized, very formalized organization if the playing field is changing all the time? The second one is the whole thing, uh, and it's been encapsulated in the term, the fourth industrial revolution. Exponentially accelerating, accelerating uh, technological innovation. And I have kind of, for me to make sense of it, uh, come up with the, 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 the acronym DIVAS. DIVAS stands for first, uh, every digitization, everything going on to computer and making on computer readable and processable. Digitization, first D of DIVAS. Second one, interconnectivity. Everything, everyone is talking to everyone and everything. It's also the Internet of Things. The third one, virtualization. You're being in the cyberspace, you're present, delivering on an ongoing basis, anything, anywhere, anytime, anyhow, for anyone. The fourth one is is, uh, automation, the A in Divas, that things are now getting before, uh, uh, um, um, done by computers, by decision-making uh, um, uh, algorithms uh, with minimum uh, human mediation. And the last one is SMART, the S of Divas, is you generating data from everything. Uh, and you've got in this space machine learning where there's data feedback onto the machine and it becomes smarter or otherwise we have these decision-making algorithms that actually make the decisions. In so many spaces, the decision-making algorithms have just taken over. So that's the second force. The third one is, is the whole emphasis on sustainability, that where we have an impact, we must make the world a better for upcoming generations. Um, so so being a good corporate citizen, the last one is uh, stakeholders. The stakeholders, your range of stakeholders that you have to deal with have just exploded. And also the power of the social media. I mean, you sit here in the southern part of South Africa, you want to take some action like when Eskom applied for the World Bank Loans for Madupi and Kusili. The next moment, there's a worldwide lobby group on social media against granting them a loan because of they, they're going to build fossil fire power stations and it does not fit the sustainability picture. So, all of these things added together, what happens now is what organizations are forced to innovate all the time because the mass. Of the new equation, if I uh, uh, the way I've put it is, you have to intelligently respond twice as fast, deliver twice as much at twice the speed at half the cost, within half the accepted product service lifespan, and doing all of the aforesaid on a continuous sustainable basis, anywhere, anytime, anyhow, any one, anything. That's the world. Now, what type of organization design do you need in this kind of world to stay ahead of the game and have a competitive edge?
2: Uh, Theo, uh, bring it back to reality. The truth is that massive, powerful organization – are going down very rapidly around us. Look at the cell phone companies who actually are confronted with the real core of these things. Most of us are not necessarily um, concerned with all these factors. The truth is, be very careful. It's, it's the very fact that you think is not quite applicable that may cause you serious problems in the future. Look at quickly some of the dominant Cell phone companies have just kind of disappeared off the scene. Not so, Theo, because they just couldn't keep up with all these factors as well. Um, they may have a core uh, quality people in technology, for instance, but on the leadership side, uh, the overall vision, et cetera, that obviously must have been lacking because they just missed it. I remember years ago, I was a partner at a company that sold Wang, Office automation equipment. See you. You pop too young, but anyway, Wang dominated. <laughs> Wang dominated the world of word processing. In fact, Wang systems were sixty percent of the world's word processing equipment at that stage. Completely dominant. But Wang didn't see the great PC revolution coming along. Well, neither did IBM at that time. And then suddenly, within a few short years, Wang was completely diminished and became a support organization as well Um, because they didn't understand the the changing nature of the environment. And this is one of many examples we can find locally around us. People just disappear.
1: Can I add to your example? Nokia.
2: Nokia at the height
1: of its fame it had 35% of the cell phone market worldwide. In places like India, 80% plus of the population had at uh, cell phones, Nokia phones. At that stage, and I actually personally read the interview with the CEO, I've forgotten his name of Nokia at that stage, and I'm talking about seven, eight years back. It was published in The Time or The Economist. And uh, uh, um, Apple was about to launch its first iPhone and they asked Nokia now uh, you know this new phone that Apple is bringing onto the market do you see any threat of, of that for you ach oh, no no said the ceo uh, i'm virtually quoting him here it is a kind of elitist product it's too expensive it will only grab a small portion of the market and we in, because we into mass kind of of, of product Mass customization, uh, uh, it, it's no threat to us. Famous last words. Hey, mm-hmm. as you know, Nokia sold off its cell phone business. Is it about two, three years ago to, to uh, uh, Microsoft? They're out of that market because smartphones have just taken over. Why? Because I would think there's an element of that, of the design inside the uh, of that failure of Nokia. They weren't in touch with the market. They weren't picking up the signals at the, uh, and that's what we call an outside in design. We use, you have your feelers into the market, you pick up the signals, and the people at the right level, at that call first level, bring those responses into the organization and say, "Here is a major shift. Uh, we have to uh, uh, respond to that to keep ahead of the market." And also important, your design can actually leverage you that you can jumpstart the market. And that's essentially what Apple did by bringing the the iPhone onto the market. But their, their design allowed that. And maybe you know that. I think I've mentioned it before in this program. Apple does not believe in doing market research. They say, we will kind of look at the needs and then we will produce the products in terms of our internal dynamics to actually beat the pants, so to speak, of the clients in terms of their expectations.
2: I remember, uh, Theo, um, uh, while the the dangerous sounds were coming in the world from technology about the entrance of the PC, um, a very important customer told us, a a group of management, he's very concerned about our product, he says, not keeping up. And how agitated some of us were. We became very emotional. How can you tell us we're the dominant factor in the world? Uh, uh, please, a bit of advice from an old man in this game um, regarding what CEO is saying to the executives, the CEOs out there. Your environment may not require all these dramatic changes we're speaking about, may, may not. But your ability to keep up intellectually, just to think, to have discussions with a uh, format of people like uh, Professor Theo is imperative because that will trigger ideas and suddenly you will see the relevance and suddenly realize how you're becoming obsolete without realizing it because that's a problem. You're driven by the, by the mechanics or the functions of day-to-day and you miss the indications because that won't stand up in front of you except – if your mind prepares you for that. Isn't it so, Theo? Yes,
1: I mean, can I too uh, make, uh, give you two more examples of the implications? Because what all of these dynamics, these forces are forcing organizations. You may, you know, I mean, the lifespan of organizations come down, the kind of average is now two, twelve and a half years for organizations to exist in present forms. And then they have to, trans, you know, transform them into new formats. The one is, look at what Amazon has done to retail they first started with with the book industry book retail they wiped uh, uh, essentially the book retails uh, uh, um, um, industry off by going virtual on that they uh, Netflix has done that to the, the the streaming of movies they're actually changing that whole landscape in in australia i've seen an article on Rio Tinto. Um, that big mining company they now designing mines uh, they open cast uh, granted that will be totally machine controlled. you will sit in a control room, and the machines on the ground will be controlled there will be nobody in the pit, so to speak. The machines will be uh, uh, automated, and they will do the mining
2: you see what what increases the challenge in our environment. Uh, Theo is because your point Previously of the emergence of Very powerful stakeholders Now for instance uh, uh, Goldman can't just come and say I'm changing over to automation You know for very uh, many reasons The truth is though that this is What the executive the planning people Must consider Um, And uh, because you can't ignore the stakeholders At the same time you can't ignore The need for technological Technological advance Uh, Theo we we, um, um, you mentioned a term here, a kind of a very you put it very very uh, harshly, uh, resultant imperative of ongoing, relentless destructive innovation and continual learning teaching. Now that's a strong statement you're making. Uh, resultant imperative. Please just let's expand on that.
1: Well, if everything has become hyper-fluid, hyper uh, turbulent. Uh, uh, Louis and Kevin, you, what that forces organizations, if they want to stay ahead of the game, not only survive, hey, survival is okay, you can do it for a period of time, but you actually want to thrive to get ahead of the game, is that you have to go into this mode of continuous, as you put it, uh, um, Louis, relentless, destructive innovation. And it's not only in terms of your products and your services, but it's also the processes and the practices through which you deliver. It's the total package in your organization. So there is, to use that expression, there's no longer any area that you can't question. There are no longer any holy cows in terms of of how you do things if you. So very strongly, that's why you have to imagine where you want to be with your companies five to ten years in the future. You have to go and visit your your company, so to speak, the future you want to create. And then you come back into the present and say, how do I have to reinvent the delivery of logic of my organization to be able uh, to do exactly that? And that also implies nobody's got answers nowadays. It implies going with that destructive innovation. It implies ongoing learning, experimenting, trying out new things and learning from it. And you see, but typically what companies do, they want to innovate, but they don't want to take the mistakes that come with that, the failures. And so they punish the people. They look for the scapegoats and people don't innovate. You have to create an environment, a context in which people are willing to take risks and you actually reward them for the fact what they're learning from the mistakes they make in order to improve the organization. I mean, that's what um, Chris Becker did at Media24 when it was still Nuspers and the whole digital uh, media world was emerging. Nobody knew where it was going. So we had a number of initiatives running in the company. They were kind of saying, I'm betting different horses here. And people failed. But they weren't punished for that. They said, "Okay, we've learned. This is not the avenue to go. It's rather this avenue or that avenue."
2: Again, you see, when you speak that way, Theo, what I look at is the, the imperative of a changing mindset in the and the leaders, the top leader. Now, Theo also is a is a high profile industrial psychologist, although he calls himself a work psychologist. So, whatever he does is also built from the of how the individual sees and, and perceives things Theo, just a f- little comment from you if you don't mind about uh, how, how all this, all these great imperatives how it impacts on the mindset of the individual leader
1: You've touched on really the crucial thing uh, can I maybe introduce another metaphor here uh, Louis, Kevin, if you still look at the world, as if it's a flat world you will behave to a flat world. Hey, but if you convert, do you have a mindset shift to seeing the world as a round world? Round, then you're going to behave completely differently. You see, when, and and, and the mind shift that leaders have to undergo here is uh, with respect to the organizational design relative to strategy, is if they still think design is about the organigram, and drawing the boxes and the lines and who reports this to who and the span of control, you're in a flat world. You're going to be dead in the water. What you have to look at is an, and a little bit of technical jargon is the way we now look at organizations, the new mindset, the round world way is to look at organizations as complex ecosystems. In other words, they pieces that fit together, that interact. And leaders have to have And we also call that the big picture thing of uh, there's a strategy of the organization. How does it fit? How must I translate that into the design? How does that design impact the performance? What type of people do I need to populate this design with? If you've got a team-based type organization, you have to have team-type people in the organization. What type of leadership? is right to lead this organization. What type of culture do I need and how do we deploy resources in this organization? So you have to come up in this new world. We talk about seeing the organization as a living ecosystem from a complexity perspective. And the best analogy here, again, is the body. You've got a brain, you've got kidneys, you've got lungs. All of these things have to work together to give you a good way of living and to be able to do things. You can't just concentrate on the brain sometimes that's what uh, leaders do. They look at the strategy and say, oh, we've got to find strategy. People go and do it. And meanwhile, the, the design, the house, does not support the execution of that strategy at all.
2: Theo, so, you know, there's something very foundational that we're discussing as well. You know, um, on the one hand, when you're exposed to the strategic thinking of a, of a Theo Felsmann uh, with respect, the it can be very disrupting. <laughs> it can be uh, painful in many ways. The truth, though, is speaking from a lot of experience also. We're not speaking of a perfect leader. We're not speaking of arrogance. We're not speaking of a person that of necessity must always be able to give the answers. Uh, we speak of something far more significant. It's a certain mindset of growth and change and all these various pointers mentioned by by Theo helps us understand that it's pretty exciting um the kind of person you need and the last thing an organization nowadays needs is an arrogant know-it-all leader Mm -hmm. that everything must be done exactly (laughs) the way they say if you want to lose confidence go ahead and cultivate that old-fashioned idea at the same time there's a there's a uh, authentic strength that uh, kind of flows from a person who's got this mindset i you feel it when you see them Uh, when we interview them too you know uh, theo within a minute you feel that vibe of that person and that's not a vibe of i know it all it's a vibe of continually learning adapting and being able to make decisions based on all the guidelines that you're speaking about
1: yeah and this can i add to that there's a humbleness eh? And a, a eagerness to learn and to experiment uh, uh, and, and, and you see the the uh, a typical wrong response that I see from a lot of organizations under these turbulent hyperfluid situations which is exactly the wrong response uh Louis and Kevin and that is your t- things seem to be out of control. We need another standard here. We need another methodology. I mean, take our minds, the concern about safety on our minds. We're killing too many people, and it is really sad that we're doing this, but we introduce another procedure. We introduce another standard. We introduce another check. We start over-controlling the situation in a very dynamic situation instead of moving back and giving people the capacity through enabling, empowering them to take charge of their own situations. But we want to take charge of the situation so that we actually become like lead, the leaders, like the big puppet master pulling the, 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 the strings of the puppets. In, instead of letting puppets, the puppets go and make their own decisions, but in informed way through us enabling, mentoring, coaching uh, in empowering them.
2: Theo, I've worked closely. I still am, you know, in my old age, involved in uh, coaching a team in a very dangerous environment, um, and they're doing great. Um, but partly because they recognise the danger and they're very safety. It's a gold mining industry. They're very safety conscious, extremely so. But what this team has managed to do is instead of reacting exactly the way that you're warning, that you start laying down controlling things because by implication when you do that, you create a sense that they don't really trust you, you know, yep. and therefore you feel it. You can feel the vibes in the bosses as well. Now, that uh, can generate mistakes. And that can generate the fatalities. Make no mistake. On the other hand, as they develop this kind of uh, confident, uh, trustful environment of really looking carefully at every regulation, uh, auditing it all the time, but there's a team spirit there. Um, and you get a, a feeling that the chances of serious accident happening happening uh, is, is greatly lessened because of that. It's a leadership mindset. It really is.
1: Uh, if you don't have that aha experience uh, in this new context, this new world, from going from a flat world to a round world, you're in serious trouble. Because you can't try and uh, deal with a round world if you still have a flat
2: world. Uh, mindset, uh, Louis. The real challenge is, um, the implications of these things. The, you know, the, the, uh, what you trigger. For instance, if you have this tense, um, s- sense of things must be done in a specific way and control it rigidly, um, you really evoke a, a climate that's, it's the opposite of a, a, Passionate um, uh, climate where people are contributing, feeling part of it, even this beautiful uh, sense of humor, uh, which you find with people that are confident in what they do is right, very serious, and then I love it to see that. And when that, that sense of humor, of enjoyment is lacking, then you look for the dangerous signs that boy, it's a case of somebody who wants to have rigid control because very concerned about some stats and then, by that uh, and by doing that, they actually are, are um, really uh, damaging the real purpose of the organization.: If I could just
0: come in here and just disagree with everything you 've said, and I was thinking as we 're going along that the new millennials hop around from one job to another, and one of the reasons uh, in my opinion is one of the positives of that is they always bring new ideas, new thoughts, new new uh, perspectives. I, I have a 24-year-old son, and uh, if you want to know anything about technology, hire a teenager. They somehow have this amazing ability to grab an electronic device and sort out whatever your problem is, that those of us who are over 40+, 50+, plus, plus, we get it right if we put our minds to it, but it takes us so much longer. We had an experience even here at Leadership Platform with one of our recording devices. And this young man just took over. And in minutes, he could he did something that I, I didn't know how to do. I was too scared to even approach it. So having that fresh ideas and, and just like you're saying, having this no more blinkers, no more arrogancy, as as Louis was saying, it, it just does not work for the future.
1: You see, interesting year, Kevin, have you ever observed, and I try to contrast myself also against my kids, and our son in particular is very good technology uh, with technology savvy is we 've been brought up in a world that 's stable, so if you look approach technology it 's like step one, step two, follow the manual, yes. and then the thing should work, yes. Tip- it has become so open ended. There are multiple permutations and options and functionalities. If they engage with a piece of technology, I've observed our son. He experiments. Uh, he hasn't got the answer. He tries this. Does it work? No, it doesn't work. Then I have to try this, etc. And kind of while he's doing it, he's eliminating possibility. And the next moment, the thing is working. Yes. There's no manual in sight, eh? Hey? It, Absolutely. It is, it's engaging directly with the technology But with an open mind Experimenting, innovating Kind of approach
0: And for those of us who are older That scares us And looking at CEOs And leaders who are older That scares us because there isn't a step 1 To step 10 And by step 10 it's all done It's no longer like that And it's
2: scary To sound a warning voice From the point of view of these older guys Why they're scared of the changes That, obviously I'm a person that has, has got a passion For innovation, and new ideas Etc, and my life's been spent investing that one but at the same time I have great understanding for um, for instance somebody comes along with a zestful new idea etc but again if you don't have the approach that Theo was saying the total approach to the total design then that's going to threaten you but you won't know what is threatening if you don't understand the full picture, the, 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 the total context that you are speaking about yeah. today, then, then those, those ideas could well be threatening, be dangerous.
1: A colleague of mine had the experience with one of the major banks. They wanted to become more innovative. So they approached them. And, uh, these are also work psychologists. They said, can you generate a profile of the innovative type of employee uh, and fine, they innov- uh, generated the profile, we liked the profile, then they said, go and find those people for us and I, I'm not sure about the numbers so the, it was kind of 20 of these innovative people, they had to go and recruit from there, which they did after about 4 months they get this desperate call from this bank, come and take these people away, they're causing havoc they're not paying any attention to instructions, to authority. They don't abide by our policies, whatever. It's just disaster time. You see, what they did not do, they wanted more innovation, but they did not want to change the house in which the kids, these new uh, innovative employees, had to live to make a difference. So they, re- they kicked them out
2: of the house. Theo, that's why I speak of the warning voice. Uh, you can't really replace the... With respect, to the maturity of a good leader. Theo, let's move to the design criteria. How yeah. do we go about designing this kind yeah. of organisation?
1: What we've now discussed, if you want to have the organisation of the future, change your mindset to the seeing the organisation as this complex. Uh, Ecosystem and look at all the pieces. The second one is like when you approach an architect to build a house, you give the architect a number of specifications, you know, this size house, two garages, north facing, whatever. When you think you want to engage with designing your organization with the future, you must have, have agreement on the design criteria, the specs according to which you want to build this, the organization and it must be able to deliver. And I want to raise 10 criteria that's become critical for the organization of the future. Firstly, the organization must be designed around its purpose and the meaning it wants to create. In other words, what difference does it want to make as an organization in the space in which it operates, the community it's embedded, it is the, the stakeholders it wants to serve. Immediately, the organization becomes purpose and meaningful driven because that is the basis. Next around, the next criterion is the whole issue of how will you get people technology optimization? How do you bring the people and the technology together in such that you can really get a great uh, um, if, uh, um, results from that. That's the second criteria. The third one is what are the core capabilities that you have to build in the organization in order to compete? Maybe it's customer relationships. Maybe it's a certain technology. Maybe it's a certain type of, of process. Maybe it's the brand that you want to. That's the, 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 the next um, criteria. The next one is collaboration. Uh, how would you the organisation of the future is built on collaboration within the organisation through teams and we'll get to that and with stakeholders and partners you can't do the job any longer by yourself uh, the next criterion and I, what's that that would be number one, two, three, four. Uh, the fifth one is outside in what kind of memorable experiences do I have to create for my customers Uh, My stakeholders. What is that? How will I delight them? And I have to have clarity on that because that's going to affect the way in which I design the organization. Then uh, a number of important qualities, also part of the, the DNA, the criteria, agility, the ability to move fast and quick. The next one is autonomy. You have to empower people down to the bottom level to make decisions.
2: On the autonomy, uh, the freedom to take decisions where action happens. Again, this is um, dependent, though, on the overall uh, confidence in the strategy that you approach. In other words, you as a leader or leaders must have a, a confidence that you're building a structure that you can and should um, allow autonomy to apply. Again, if not, if you don't know what you're doing with respect, if your vision isn't clear, if all the other elements that Theo's speaking about is not put in place, then you will not be able to provide that autonomy.
1: And can I t- tie to that in terms of that autonomy, uh, 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 Louis? And that is why if you go to the receptionist, if you go to the plant operator, if you go to the security guide, your firm, and you ask them at that level, what is the strategy of the company and how does it pan out in your situation? And that person can't say, for me as a security guy, this is what customer centricity looks like. As a receptionist, this is what... For a plant operator, you have not been successful in cascading your strategy and translating it into the necessary actions into the organization. Then you can't give people autonomy because they don't know how, uh, what to do
2: asking a question at that level (laughs) Um, does indicate though a basic confidence you have or a passion to make sure everybody feels in principle the say don't expect them to understand your overall strategy but do expect them to understand the core vision if not then uh, you're asking for trouble yes
1: yeah you know and 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 kevin and louis these very nicely CEO executive road shows to go and share the strategy. You know, at the end of the 45 minutes of this very powerful uh, PowerPoint presentation, dead silence in the room. Nobody asks the question. CEO is deadly unhappy. Why can't the people get excited and passionate about what we want to do? Firstly, you've thought about five months about this. You expect people to buy into this in 45 minutes. Secondly, it's at an organizational level until it hasn't been translated down to the plant operator, to the security guy, to the person working after the teller in the bank that it makes it 's meaningful and purposeful of them you have not uh, um, succeeded in rolling out your strategy.
2: I remember once years ago visiting in the capacity of some leader, a hospital an orthopedic hospital, and uh, on the on the uh, wards where some consultancy group had been called in and they 've got all these mission statements and you know the rights of everybody over there and uh, I get down to the actual wards, and the person can 't can't call uh, for help Because <laughs> the uh, you know, little button You know that thing has been stolen Example <laughs> now, but the, the point is that one can understand But what happens is these great Strategy statements become Demotivational Because when, when I spoke to the sister concerned You know she didn't have a good I- a, a healthy idea Or respect for what these people Are trying to tell them uh, They weren't getting down to her um, So therefore your point is very valid to make sure that your months of work is communicated in some way down to everybody, organization. That also, by the way, will mean that you're not afraid. In fact, you're keen to speak to everybody down there. Your, your line of sight is much more acute and effective than would be the case of s- sending things to the top and then accepting the fact that it's going to arrive at the bottom. They won't mm-hmm. arrive at the bottom by themselves.
1: Yeah. Uh, if i may share the last uh, two criteria out of the 10 the one is resilience you have to because everything is changing you have to build the ability into the organization to bounce back you can call also uh, uh, um, a level of, of high reliability in the organization if something goes wrong or there's an opportunity because uh, interesting, the, the latest uh, thinking around resilience in the past resilience was seen as bouncing back after a disaster or crisis now people are saying what we have to build in our organization is proactive resilience so that if an opportunity comes up we can respond to that and i think we understand and personally i would include myself there little about this proactive resilience and the last one which is, even intrigues me is that you the criterion uh, the design criteria of stability in spite of the change and what it says and there's research to demonstrate this. I mean, you can go into a total state of chaos. It continues innovation and agility and you're changing things all the time, etc. Is You have to be certain in your organization what are the stable things that will guide you through uh, uh, these the, the hyper-turbulence and the hyper-fluidity. And what it boils down to, uh, um, uh, Louis and, and Kevin, is you have to be clear what you are as an organization, what you stand for, what's acceptable, unacceptable, what your aspirations are, and broadly speaking, how you're going to get there. That's kind of your anchor. And, and some people have summarized that, is to Be clear on the identity of your organization. Around that and, and the value proposition of what you want to deliver your, your clients. In between. Everything can be questioned. Everything can be innovated. But have those two firm anchors uh, in your world.
2: I love respect so highly, Theo, the point you mentioned about uh, the stability. Um, everybody has a basic need for certainty and stability as well but uh, traditionally we focus it on certain things like certain income levels security of your job um, everything is the same as before and what we're saying is people that that kind of stability uh, really doesn't last But another kind of stability that grows out of cultivating this kind of culture that the prophet is speaking about is so important. It has to do with those basic needs being satisfied in a person. So therefore, if you go into this this, uh, organization, you don't expect things to be the same. Your stability and your security will come from a sense that we are tied in with a a goal, a mission, um, and that's what drives us. Um, And amazing how a difference it makes to one's sense of, quite frankly, of happiness and innovation and courage and sense of humor and all the things that really matter most in life so i respect that highly it seems just another point stability it isn't the constancy constantness constancy uh to identify to uh, in identity um while changing things around you so there must be a constancy in life and that's why the overall strategy and vision uh in terms of planning this theory is so important
1: the psychological term that gets used to what you've explained here is what we call an internal locus of control. You find your security in your own identity and that gives you the stability similar to organizations. What do we stand for? Uh, what do we want to achieve? What's the legacy we want to leave behind here? Um, and, and what are we aspiring to? That gives you the secure anchor also, what value do we want to produce? That's a secure anchor. And then, as I said, I'm repeating myself here, in between, everything can be questioned. Everything can be changed. But those are your secure uh, secure anchors in this world.
2: Your statement from command and control to high agile, high engagement, high networking organizational shape. In other words, where we command and control. There are any people don't underestimate. This is really the way to have command and control. But the, a traditional way of command and control, like a military officer at the top, is is where it really can can uh, can uh, corrupt this whole thing. So therefore if you want to have command and control, because quite frankly Theo, if you apply this, you're getting real command and control in the sense <laughs> that's a, that matters.
1: There, you know, that's a paradox, uh, Louis, what you're describing. We think by taking more charge of the organization, command and control, we're actually getting less because everything now centers around us and it becomes impossible to lead and direct the organization appropriately. So, I mean, we've got a journey here. We said, change your mindset in this new world if you want to set up a, a future fit organization for the future. Secondly, we've specified the design criteria. And the third one is now you have to kind of build a house. And I want to kind of take a little bit of a history. In the past, and a lot of organisations are still like that. And the analogy, yes, of a pyramid. CEO at the top, and control, and everybody looking upward in the hierarchy. Please instruct us what to do. I mean, the other example you can use here is as a massive oil tanker uh, captain on bridge. All the instructions emanate from the bridge, and I just passive etc. Then an interesting shift, and there's a retailer in South Africa that's done this, is what they've done, they they talk about the inverted pyramid. And what they say is, we at the higher levels, where's the action? The action is where the customer is. Who are then the people that we have to empower and enable are the people that serve the customers. So the rest of The organization from the CEO, executives, middle management, supervisors are there to support the people that have to serve the customers at the front line. So you're turning the the pyramid upside down. I mean, Jack Wells already made this point. He says, you know, how we've designed organizations is we uh, people look up the hierarchy with their backsides to the customers. Uh, With the inverted (laughs) pyramid, we turn it around. We now supporting the people that are in contact with the customers that we've empowered to actually serve them. The third important emergence now is beyond the pyramid. And that's that high engagement, high agile, high networking organization, building organizations around teams um, to serve. And teams would serve customers. They would have ownership of a total process, etc. Your whole organization becomes team-based. Smaller business units, teams typically, what the research has shown, not more than 10, 12 people around. And you can have a number of of teams around the, the core value chain of the organization referenced against the value proposition of serving a customer that actually does certain things. Some teams are developing product innovation. Some are in the, the process of serving the client. Some are involved in, in, in making sure that the client are delighted in terms of the experience in face, interfacing uh, or, or, or interacting with you. So a shift from pyramid Next possibility is to up, uh, flip that perma- pyramid around and then you're facing towards the customer. Third one is completely rethinking your organization in terms of teams. Um, and, and the teams are actually the means of delivery.
2: Theo, we are getting back to my point at the beginning. Um, a person, a leader who's serious about um, manifest in this kind of culture needs to consider seriously and have somebody like a prof around to guide that's that's what he does uh, perhaps you can just touch briefly what you consider some uh, tangible characteristics of the uh, leadership capabilities that you would be looking for in this kind of uh, culture
1: yeah this type of organization you know you now have to Design this organization. You have to ensure that the people that are going to live in this house is going to live uh, in a in a, uh, a way that you can actually create great value. I think there there are a number of these characteristics. First, uh, Louis Kevin shared leadership. It's no longer the CEO at the top. It is actually shared leadership and leadership at all levels in all areas. It's the second one is leadership that's future-centric. You're facing the future all the time. Yes, you have to deal with crises in the present, but you deal with them with reference to where you want to be in the future. Some crises, in a sense, could become irrelevant if you realize where you want to take the organization. I mean, if there's a drop-off in a certain area of the organization of product sales and you know where you want to land them in the future and that area is irrelevant, then you don't deal with that crisis. You kind of gracefully exit. The third one is you must become purpose and meaning driven. Uh, the term that gets used for that is spiritual leadership. Uh, infuse the whole organization with purpose and meaning. And, and, and Kevin, you spoke about the millenniums. It is a primary thing for them ask the why am I doing this you know we want to be first choice in our industry uh, make the most money then they ask why is it only to enrich the stakeholders shareholders why what is the purpose beyond being first in your industry the the next uh, quality of the leadership is servanthood I'm here to serve Uh, I'm not here to promote my own self interest stewardship I'm here to look after the resources that's part of the sustainability that's entrusted to me coaching, enabling, empowering, working in a teaming fashion which ties into shared leadership, a caring type of leadership style, caring for your people and finally being constantly creative, inquisitive questioning. Those are some of the key qualities for me, uh, Louis Kevin.
2: We advise strongly that you, you look at your whole culture and organization, think of the things said here yeah, and then get people, a person like Prof. Theo in to discuss it He also provides uh, then some Stress tests which we can't discuss now In other words, that you can test You can audit uh, Whether you have a fit for purpose organisation Design, but remember, ultimately It's a very personal thing, how you see Your organisation and how your organisation Adapts to your vision Theo, thank you very much, it's been a great Discussion once again, my own concern is We're fitting in a whole kind of A uh, whole kind of A, a, a quarterly of a year chapter in, in this one discussion and it deserves far more than that Theo thank you very very much
1: thank you for the privilege of having me
2: thank you everybody
0: that was professor Theo H. Feltzman our regular on the leadership platform show which we really really appreciate your time and effort you put into the articles and what you share with us thank you so much Theo and that is our global leadership platform for today thank you this is com.